Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Will you join me in a spirit and attitude of prayer? Holy God, our hearts are full today. We give thanks that you have seen fit to call us together in this sacred hour, in this sacred place. God, we know even in this room we come bearing all sorts of anxieties and worries and fears, tasks uncompleted from the previous week, concerns about the week to come. We pray that this hour would be a time where our hearts are resting in your peace and in your grace, where we are lifted up and knit together according to your love so that we might know again your fellowship and your communion. God, we sense your spirit among us as we sing and as we share in fellowship, as we make our gifts and tithes and offerings, as we share in prayer, and now as we turn to the words of Scripture. We pray that your spirit would guide all of these acts of worship, that they would be worthy of you, that they would shape and reshape our souls according to your will. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I hope you're familiar with this guy on the screen. If you're not, I'll tell you a little bit about him. This is uh, the contemporary comedian Nate Bergetzi. I particularly like his stuff because it's uh, kind of family-oriented. It's very clean comedy, uh, but he picks up on so many of the oddities of everyday life and, of course, turns them into wonderful jokes. This is his recent comedy special you can watch online. In that special, he has this wonderful bit about birth order, right, about the birth order, about siblings and how they arrange themselves. And so I want to I tell a little bit of that joke to you as a way to set up today's sermon. He says that he is the oldest sibling. He has a younger sibling. He has a sister who's 10 years younger than him. And so he reflects on in this joke how different it is for for oldest siblings versus youngest siblings. He says, when we older siblings come along, and I'm an older sibling, when we older siblings come along, our parents have no idea what they're doing, right? They're totally lost. They're not ready for a baby. They're just beginning their adult life. And so we come along to straighten them out, right? Thank God for older siblings, right? We help our parents get their lives together, right? We teach them how to be good parents. We eventually receive some of the responsibilities around the house and we grow into that in a quick way. Also, when we older siblings come along, our our parents are not necessarily as far along in life. They they may rent a small apartment or a duplex or or a starter home. They don't have money or resources. They're just sort of figuring things out. But those younger siblings, right? Those younger siblings, some of you may be younger siblings. When they come along, it's totally different, right? When the younger siblings come along, the parents are trillionaires, right? They have plenty of money. Um, They live in a nicer, newer home. The parents seem much more relaxed and easygoing. They've got things together. They know how babies work and kids work. And the older siblings are already there helping to run and manage the household. You younger siblings have no idea how good you've got it, right? So he tells this joke about his sister and about their relationship. This joke resonates in our household because Jill and I are both older siblings. Uh, not a big gap between us and our, our, in my case, my brother, and her case, her sister. But we like the joke because we can reflect on the little ways in which we were raised differently than our younger siblings. The joke also resonates in our household because of our own children. Uh, when Edith was born, we lived in a very small, it was, it was a nice, but a very small duplex on the edge of Duke's campus. Uh, Jill had kind of an entry-level job at the hospital. It was a good job. I was a full-time student, so I just had a little bit of an internship, a little bit of a paycheck. That way we had very little money, you know, just making it week by week. We had very few resources. We were living in a different state in a small rental property. Uh, Compared to when our newest baby has come along, Stuart, right? We got a nice house, a large house. We got trillions of dollars, as he says there in the joke, right? 
So baby Stuart is growing up in a very different world than baby Edith, right? That's a funny joke, but there is a, a little bit of truth to it, as there is with all jokes, that if we're not careful as siblings, we can sometimes sort of dwell on and even measure the, the different ways in which our parents deal with us. I know I've been guilty of that, sometimes reflecting on the things my parents did for my brother that they didn't do for me and wondering why. If we dwell on that long enough, we can kind of grow bitter and angry. Now, being on the other side of it, the, the parenting side of it, of course, I see it very differently, right? I know that we, we love each of our children wholly and completely, but we do sometimes love them differently, like they need different things from us. Uh, they come to us at different times in our lives. Sometimes we just have more time or money or resources to give to our children at different times in, in their life and in our life. Don't even get me started on grandparents. I mean, the things that mine and Jill's parents do for our kids, you know, they never did for us, right? They load them up and they go shopping and they come home with all this stuff, the Christmas gifts, the birthday presents. It's like, well, I don't even know those people, right? Today we have this wonderful parable, one of my favorites from Matthew 20. Uh, and I say one of my favorites. I, I, love, I love the ones when Jesus says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like which means you're about to be given a chance to see the world through God's eyes, right? That's what Jesus is saying. So, so think about this, Jesus says. This is how God sees the world, and he tells this story. Now, this is a painting of the, of the story. It's a, from the 17th century. It's obviously an older painting, but, but it sort of gives you an idea. There's a, there's a central location. A, a farmer has a vineyard. He, he presumably has lots of property, and so he hires people out to work during the day, this was sort of common in the ancient world, and it still happens in places today. Workers would gather, day workers would gather, and they would be hired out as needed. And so in this parable, Jesus says the farmer hires some people early in the morning. He hires some people at nine in the morning, hires some people at noon, he hires some people at three. He even hires some people at five who haven't found any other work, and he sends them all out into his vineyard to work. So that's pretty straightforward. We can imagine what's going on there. But of course, the parable gets interesting when they come in to receive their pay. And notice what Jesus says. He, he began by paying those who came last first. And so he brought those who were hired at five. They, they had only worked like an hour, right? Or, or maybe less. I mean, you can't even imagine that they got a whole lot done. He brings those in who were hired at the end of the day, and he pays them a full day's wage for just a little bit of work. So you can imagine the excitement that the others begin to feel. Wow, he hired these people at five and they get a full day's wage. He's probably going to pay us two or three or four times that much. And then the landowner works down the line and he pays everyone a full day's wage. And so the people who had worked all day, they begin to complain. Hey, what's, what's going on here? We worked all day. We worked about nine or ten times as long as these other people and we got paid the same amount we've been here in the heat all day we've worked hard for you this is not fair and of course the, the farmer has this wonderful response he says are you jealous about my generosity didn't i pay you what i agreed to pay you is it really up to you who gets paid what and when and how much take what you've been paid and, and go on your way wonderful parable it's a it's a great image as we can sort of dig into and and we can appreciate the way in which these workers who were hired for the full day uh, feel disenfranchised it's not a hard parable to relate to I mean just just put it in the terms of your own work imagine your employment and someone who works alongside of you and suppose that they work half as many hours or a third as many hours or a fourth as many hours and they take home the same paycheck as you 
Would that set well with you? Of course not, right? We should be compensated fairly. The more we work, the more we should get paid. Or for you students, imagine you're in a classroom, a college classroom, a high school classroom, an elementary school classroom, and, and someone sitting next to you does half as many assignments, but they still get an A. Is that going to set well with you? That's not fair. Right? Imagine people you know, you can think of some people right now, they, they've made every wrong decision in life, at every turn they've made a poor choice, and yet their life continues to be charmed and blessed and lucky, and you look at them thinking, this is not fair. Why does everything work out for them? When I read this parable, I think of Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55, uh, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Some of the earliest scriptures I memorized as a young person, and they're always sort of at the forefront of my mind, where, where Isaiah, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, says that, that God's ways are not your ways, and God's thoughts are not your thoughts. That God's ways are higher than your ways. Right? So there's something about the way God sees the world and the way God engages in the world that's just very different than we can imagine. In fact, it sometimes confounds us. It's beyond explanation. That's some of what we're dealing with in this parable by Matthew today. As I was thinking about hourly wages and working an hourly job, I, I thought about some of my uh, first uh, terms of employment and when I was 12 or 13, uh, I was hired, invited by a local farmer to come work on his farm on Saturdays or other days when I was out of school. So my parents would drive me there. Uh, he was late in life. He didn't have a big operation, a few cows, but we would pick up sticks and burn brush piles, and we would split firewood. Uh, I was introduced to a pneumatic splitter on his farm. The first time I'd ever seen one, I thought it was like the greatest thing ever, right? We'd just lay this wood up there, and it would just split it down the middle. Very little work compared to doing it by hand. We were kind of buddies. I enjoyed working for him. I, I remember, I'll tell you something funny. He, he had a, a small farm. We would drive around, and he told me, he said, we used to have an old horse on the farm, an old family horse had been around a long time. It got sick. Uh, we hired the vet to come out and look at it a couple of times. It eventually died, and he said, the horse is, is buried over there. I just buried it a few months ago. I said, okay. He said, but I, I couldn't bear to tell my wife, right? So whenever she asks, I just tell her that that horse is doing a whole lot better now, right? And he said, so if she asks you, you tell her the same thing. That probably wasn't true, but he enjoyed telling me that joke. That family was, was real meticulous. At the end of the day, there would be a little, a little memo pad, and they would write down what time I arrived, uh, how long I had taken to eat lunch, and what time I left, and then multiply by the hourly rate, maybe 5 or 6 $7 an hour, and I got paid exactly that down to the dime, right? Nothing extra, totally fair. A few years later, I went to work for the watermelon growers, as many young people do in Cave City, home of the world's sweetest watermelons. That was a little different operation. Uh, we would start early in the morning, about 6 o'clock, trying to beat the heat. Um, and so we would begin hauling watermelons as, as early as we could. And sometimes it wouldn't last very long. Maybe it was a slow day, a Monday or a Tuesday. We would just get one or two loads, and we would be done by 9 or 10. And you were sort of free to go. Closer to the weekend, we would get more loads. We might work through lunch, maybe even the late afternoon if we were super busy. On days when they didn't have any watermelons for us to, to haul, we would go clean chicken houses. Ugh, that was the hardest and most unpleasant part of that job. That was a very different operation. I never really understood how much we were getting paid, when we were getting paid, why we were getting paid. Uh, just every now and then, the owner, I hope there are no tax lawyers in here. Please, this is 20 years ago, right? Every now and then, the owner would just take out a wad of 20s and 100s and just reel off a couple and hand them to us, right? That was payday. And kind of wondered, are other people getting paid the same as I am? Are we getting paid based on how hard we work? Are we getting paid based on how many watermelons they sell? Not sure. 
It always seemed fair, and it always seemed a little bit generous. I wonder about you this morning. As you heard that parable from Jesus, do you remember maybe an early job or a minimum wage job? Do you remember just making the the bare minimum? There are lots of people in Jesus' time, and certainly in our time as well, who live on very, very little each day. We could pull the statistics around the globe where so many millions of people live on a dollar a day, but even in Arkansas, even in Paragould. Of course, there's always debate about minimum wage. The, the Arkansas minimum wage, I think, is $11. The federal minimum wage is $7.25. I wonder today if you had to go, go back to making minimum wage, could you live on that and could you take care of your family? I think this parable is partly about spiritual matters, and we're going to get to that a little bit in a minute, but I think there's also just a real pragmatic part of this parable that, that when God thinks about the world, God thinks everyone deserves enough to live on, right? Even if they can only work an hour a day, even if they only work a couple of hours a day, there's some bare minimum that everyone deserves. That's the way God sees the world. Everyone deserves enough to get by on. And so there's a lesson in economics here, right? It's not just a spiritual lesson. There's a lesson in economics that employers ought to be fair and they ought to be generous when possible so that the least of these can can live and flourish. The other lesson today is, is from the book of Jonah, and you heard Sarah recap it a little bit with the children. I love the book of Jonah. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. We've preached on it here in different times, all the different parts. I'll remind you some of the context of Jonah. Uh, Jonah is a, a, a prophet. He's a reluctant prophet. He's not a very good prophet, but he's a prophet, and so he's called upon by God to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. Now, the context here is really important. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria is the big, bad bully of a nation in Jonah's time, and when we read the historical accounts of Assyria, uh, I mean, Assyria invented some of the most violent forms of, of warfare and torture, right? To say that they were mean, to say that they were violent is, is an understatement. Assyria, and particularly the capital of Nineveh, were known for doing terrible things to their neighbors as they tried to take over more and more land and more and more countries. So when God tells Jonah, you should go to Nineveh and preach forgiveness and grace, uh, you can imagine Jonah is not uh, excited about that, so he runs the other direction. He ends up on a boat trying to get away from Nineveh. He ends up in the water. He's swallowed by the whale. He's spit out by the whale. He finally reluctantly goes to Nineveh, and he tells them, okay, if you guys will repent, maybe God will forgive you. This is how I imagine Jonah's preaching. It's not very inspired, right? And they do. It's a wonderful story. The city of Nineveh repents, not only the people, but the animals, right? The, the cows even repent, it says. And so it's a miraculous sort of turnaround, a salvation story. And yet we pick up today where Jonah is sitting on, Jonah's sitting on the edge of the city, sort of in anger and in disbelief. And Jonah quotes Psalm 103. I mean, just kind of further makes the point that Jonah is a person who knows the Scriptures and knows God. He says, I knew you, God. I knew you were going to be gracious and merciful, that you were steadfast, that you were likely to forgive them. I knew that you were going to do that, and I just wish I could die. Right? It's a, it's a funny story. It's supposed to be funny. Right? So Jonah's sitting there in his anger and his frustration. He's mad at God because... He just assumed that if, if Jonah hates Nineveh and Assyria, if these people are violent and terrible, then surely God hates them as well. 
And so we get this funny little part at the end. There's a bush that grows up over Jonah as he's sitting outside the city in his anger. He likes the bush because it provides him shade. The next day the bush goes away and comes the sun and the wind. And, and Jonah's even mad now. He says, it's so hot and miserable out here. I just wish I could die again, his pettiness and his shallowness. And God says, look at you, Jonah. Like, what are you doing? You're worried about this bush? And yet you don't think I should have compassion on these thousands of people, not to mention their animals? It's a real funny story about, about this prophet and about these people whom, whom God seeks to save. And, and honestly, I think the story is as much about Jonah's salvation as it is Nineveh's salvation. I mean, the book kind of ends mm, kind of wondering, will, will Jonah come to understand God's grace and goodness? Or will Jonah continue to be selfish and short-sighted and petty? Is Jonah willing to see his enemies in the light of God's forgiveness and healing? And so it's a, a great story. It's kind of a children's story, but it's much deeper than that. It kind of invites us all to wrestle with those questions. Hmm. Does God hate the same people I hate? Does God love some of the people I hate? If God's willing to forgive them and to see them changed, am I willing to see them forgiven and changed? Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, she's a wonderful professor and, and preacher. She's written a few different books. I've, I've shared quotes from her in other times. She has this recent book called Holy Envy. She, she takes that phrase from uh, a bishop who had worked at Harvard Divinity School and then, and then ended up a bishop in Stockholm. His last name was Stendhal, Bishop Stendhal. There in Stockholm, there was, there was a group building a Mormon temple, all right? and this is a country that's primarily a Christian country. He's a Lutheran bishop, and they're building a Mormon temple. And so the local Lutherans begin to grow pretty about that what should we think about the mormons what should we think about them worshiping in our city and so he gives a talk a press conference where he says when you're thinking about other people and other religious traditions you should try to practice these uh, three rules these are the three rules he says when trying to understand other people other religions included you should ask the adherents and not the enemies number two don't compare your best to their worst I should chew on that a little bit and number three he says to leave room for holy envy holy envy from there brown tells a story she's teaching a world religions class where a united methodist pastor has come back to school he's a middle-aged united methodist pastor but he's come back to college to get his credentials for ministry and in this world religions class they they go to other places of worship other religions other traditions they join muslims for a friday prayer service and so her world religions students from the small college are sitting in the back corner they're watching these muslims gather for prayer and more and more come in they can barely all fit and they have this very uh, devout series of prayers that they offer they do so five times a day and so she's talking to the students afterwards particularly this young united methodist pastor she says what were you thinking about as we were in there he says, I was thinking about all the people who were there and why they were there. I was thinking about the people who attend my church and why they come. I was thinking about what's the difference between us and them and how do we manage those differences. I like this phrase a lot, holy envy, right? Having envy for, for other people because we know that God's at work in their lives and in their world as well. Holy envy, envy for other people because we know God is at work in all times and all places among all people. There's no one in the world that's not experiencing God's grace in some way. Muslims and Buddhists and Baptists and Catholics and Ninevites and the poor and the generous. When we look at other people, we should look at them as as those who are receiving God's grace and care and love. I'll remind you today that in the biblical story, in the biblical 
a pattern. We, we in this room, we in this room have more in common with the Ninevites and much more in common with those who show up to work at the end of the day. Right? In the biblical sense, we are Gentiles. We are pagans. We are not part of God's family. We're not part of the people of Israel. We are the people who show up right at the end. And, and thank God, right? I mean, this is the New Testament that, that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection has made a, a way for all people to be welcomed and included in God's salvation for the world. And, and Pentecost kind of explodes the, the work of God into all these nations and races and traditions. Paul goes to all these countries. We are a product of this, this end-of-the-day laborers, right? The, the unlikely Ninevites to repent and to follow God. That's, that's who we are. And yet... You know, sometimes, me included, we kind of get into that old mindset. We're, we're like the siblings who compare everything that our parents do or don't do for us and for our, our brothers or sisters. Uh, we're like the, the laborers, the workers who, who want to know exactly what everyone else makes and when they get paid and how much they get paid. Or we're like religious scorekeepers. We want to know what everyone else believes, exactly how they believe, how they function, how they operate, where, where we agree and where we disagree. Heaven, heaven forbid. Heaven forbid that we become like Jonah or we become like those workers who showed up at the beginning of the day. Sort of acting as if though God's grace is ours to control, ours to manage, ours to share. We can hear God saying to us, just as God said to Jonah and God said to those laborers, like, who are you to be jealous of the way in which I do good in the world? It's all God's grace. It can't be measured. It never runs out. Thank God that we've been made part of God's story. Let's celebrate and give thanks for the way in which God is at work in the lives of others. This is God's grace. This is God's goodness. This is God's doing. And it's plenty to go around. For you and for me and for everyone else you can imagine. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks that you have seen fit to include us in your story. We give thanks for your grace, your care, and your forgiveness. God, help us to see the world as you see it. As laborers who are all paid a fair and full wage. As cities like Nineveh who repent and become a part of your story of salvation and goodness. As people like us, unlikely Gentiles to join in this glorious story of salvation and redemption. Just as you have been gracious with us, help us to be gracious with others. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.